Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. All right, who's ready for the word? Revelation 4, 1 to 11. Let's go there. We're going to read about um, the Apostle John's encounter with the throne in heaven. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about an, a heavenly encounter I had last Sunday night. Um, let's read Revelation 4, verse 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures, verse 9, give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I wanna to speak to you today on the subject, living in heaven's reality. Living in heaven's reality. Um, last Sunday night, a Pentecost Sunday service here, uh, we had an all in and uh, all our locations came in and during the altar call in worship, I felt the Holy Spirit just put upon my heart to go and, and just sit and be still and know that He is God. How many of us know stillness precedes knowing? Just rushing, you're not always gonna know or connect with the reality of who God is, but when we quiet our hearts and still our spirit, we begin to connect in a way that, that is not familiar to us. And so I began to assume the position and posture in my own heart and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And immediately I was in the spirit, even just as John was talking about Revelation 4, and I saw these two cosmic sliding doors just begin to open in front of me. In front of these sliding doors was like this runway, like a sea of glass, and it was clear and yet it was solid and it was majestic and totally awesome. And as these two massive, almost like universal, sort of like earth to the heaven sliding doors open, this light begins to emanate out from this epicenter, almost like there was a being, like it was Jesus and, and, and the being and, the, and the, the, the form or image of, 
of Jesus, the Son of God, the Ancient of Days, was coming closer and closer. And as this light was coming towards me, in this light and around this light was like peals of thunder and lightning and rumbling. And there was this awesome fire and power, like a ball of fire that was surrounding this light. Either side of this light were rows of angels in rank and file, and they were walking in formation. But as the worship and as our awareness of the presence of God increased in this room, they started to move from walking to running, and they began to run into the earthly realm and earthly atmosphere, not just in this room, but across the city and across the earth. And as I'm having this encounter, being totally swept up and in awe of what I was seeing, the Holy Spirit says to me, son, you live so far below my heavenly reality. I've called you to live from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. And immediately that he said that, Matthew 6.10 comes to mind, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More and more of this planet is to reflect more and more of the reality of heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, we read where Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven and he would encounter things that he could not even speak about or utter. Such was the encounters and manifestation of heaven that he saw. And so when it comes to the book of Revelation, here we see John the Apostle's encounter with heavenly realities. And what the book of Revelation is, it's an apocalyptic unveiling of unseen spiritual realities. It is prophetic symbolism foretelling of what is to come. Other aspects of it are literal. Some aspects of it are metaphorical, but it is all reflective of a heavenly encounter that a real person named John had on the Isle of Patmos. You see, if we're gonna live in heaven's reality, we've got to ask God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see and know. It's not enough just to see, but that seeing must lead to knowing. The Bible says in verse one that John looked and he beheld something. He beheld a door standing open in heaven. I love what Helen Keller said, who was born blind. She said, the greatest tragedy in life is people who have sight, but no vision. How many of us know there's a fundamental difference between having natural sight and supernatural vision? If you only live by your natural sight as a believer, a follower of Jesus, you're gonna miss 100% of the open doors in heaven that are waiting for you. We walk by faith, not by sight. So we need to ask God to illuminate and enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see as He sees and so that we can uh, operate and action that which He is bringing us into and not simply be left to our own human faculties. Too often as believers, we're like Jacob in Genesis 28 who says, surely the Lord is in this place, but I didn't know it. As He stands or sits at the gate of heaven where angels are ascending and descending. He wasn't aware that there was another spiritual reality that was playing out in the background. What does 2 Corinthians 4.18 say? We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
for the things that are seen are transient. This world is passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to ask God to check our spiritual eyesight, to actually begin to bring into focus that which He sees, because Jesus said in John 5, 19, I only ever do that which I see my Father doing. How was that so? He wasn't talking about the natural. He was talking about through His intimacy and His relationship. And the closer He he was to His Father, the more He could discern and see spiritually what His Father was up to. We need to understand that faith in Jesus and relationship with God is multi-sensory. It's not just one-dimensional, or it's not just even going through the motions of ritual or certain actions. But John here hears, but also he sees. Just as you have five senses, so too you have multiple spiritual senses to discern the language of heaven, to see into the spirit realm. Have you ever been looking for something and it's been staring at you right in front of you, but you can't see it? Every male in the room is like, yep, every day. You know, it, it just, in, in fact, there is something that there is an actual term for that. It's called inattention blindness. I apparently suffer from this because yesterday, while I was praying and studying, I lost one of the batteries to one of my tech devices. And so I, I was distracted from my prayer time and I went around running because things were about to die and all sorts of things. And so I'm running around, looking around the house where all the places where we would know that tech device would be, but it got raptured. It just disappeared. Or so I thought. And so as I'm there back in the prayer closet, I'm like, God, out loud, I said, God, I need a word of knowledge to know where this thing is. And as I open my mouth and say that, my wife walks in and she starts looking, and within 30 seconds, the Word of Knowledge finds where it is behind the bookshelf. And she says, I'm your Word of Knowledge, and I'm the answer to prayer. And I said, you are, darling, in many areas of life. You are my Word of Knowledge. And all the husbands say, Amen. Well, I suffer from inattention blindness. You go into the pantry or you go into the closet and you're looking for that one article of clothing or that that wears the ketchup or tomato sauce and it's staring right at you in the face. But inattention blindness. How many of us know some of us as believers sometimes suffer from spiritual inattention blindness? It's like God's trying to tell us something. God's trying to communicate to us something and it's staring at us right in the face. And we go all these different areas trying to look for it and it's right there. The open door is in front of us, but we need the Spirit of God to enlighten our spiritual eyes so that we would see. Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, not just to see, but to know the hope to which we are called. Seeing must lead to knowing. If all it is is seeing, we're not going to mature into knowing. In my devotions this morning, I was reading in Exodus 6, where God's speaking to Moses, and it was a pivotal shift in Israel's history, as well as in God revealing Himself what once was in the Garden of Eden, in the cool of the day, sin enters into the human story. Now God finds Himself a new man in Abraham through faith to begin a new nation and a new people to relate to. But Exodus 6 says, God speaking to Moses, 
I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but I didn't make myself known to them. Implying Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saw God and even related to God, but God did not reveal the full knowledge of who he was, his nature to them. But it was like God was saying to Moses, but to you, I'm going to reveal who I am. And that is why Moses would say audacious things like, show me your glory. And if you don't go with us, we're not going from here because he had a promise that God was gonna reveal his nature to him. It's not enough simply to have a vision of God or even where God wants you to go. He wants us to know him. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So what is God doing here with John and with us? He's inviting us to approach life from heaven's reality, not ours. He says to John, come up here, verse one, and I will show you what must take place after this. Isaiah 55, the prophet uh, gets a revelation of the gap between God's thoughts and ways. And he says, for my thoughts, God speaking, are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and so are my ways. We cannot walk in the ways of God if we don't begin to think the thoughts of God. What you think becomes what you speak. What you speak becomes what you act. What you act becomes your ways. And unless we go through the process of transformation of our mindset, we're not gonna be able to step into heavenly ways. We either live from earth to heaven or we live from heaven to earth. How do you know which realm or which direction you're going in? It all comes back down to your mindset. Our mindset is revealed, what you really think is revealed under pressure and when you encounter a contradiction and a problem. Because in here, in open heaven, glory cloud, we can be like, yep, I, I'm, just, I'm connecting to the third heaven. I see two cosmic doors sliding in front of me. Awesome. But there's this thing called Monday morning. And you've got to get up after a big weekend and you've got to go to work and you've got to pay your bills and maybe you've got a doctor's appointment and maybe there's something going on in relationship or something going on. And right there, the default of your mindset comes to the surface of your life and right there we see what you really believe about heavenly and earthly realities. I take great courage in the fact that even some great heroes of the faith that walk the planet right now struggle with this. I read a story of Bill Johnson who years ago had a young boy fall at the back of the auditorium and break his arm and and when he was called to go and minister in faith, healing to the boy, he went and he panicked and he didn't even pray, but he just, all the miracles just brain faded away and he just said, call the paramedics. And, and like literally he went into a total sort of brain fade and meltdown and he lost all faith to believe for healing and he had to go back a week later. And it's not that it's a bad thing to call the paramedics, he would have probably done that as well, but it was like he just lost uh, almost this, this dynamic of faith to believe that that which is true in the Word could be true right now in this situation. And he had to go back to the mother and repent and say, you actually brought me there to believe in faith, to believe for this miracle. And, and the reality is all of us wrestle with this idea of earth to heaven or heaven to earth. 
Even the disciples wrestled with this. Soon after they'd seen Jesus multiply loaves and fishes, they started complaining about a lack of bread. Check it out. They got the bread of life standing in front of them. He just multiplied loaves and fishes and they're like, hey, we didn't bring enough, you know, low-carb bread from 7-Eleven to the ministry event. What are we gonna do? And Jesus is like, are you serious? Didn't you just see the multiplication of loaves and fishes? Don't you know who you're hanging out with? I wanna say to the church, don't you know who lives inside of you? Christ in me, the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and is alive in you. Don't you know you have access to heavenly resources inside of you? You know that saying, that person can be so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use. I think the opposite is true. You can be so earthly bound and minded in this reality, heaven doesn't have a role for you to play on earth because all we think about is the earthly realm. You see, to live heavenly minded is to not live then and there, it's to live now in light of then and there. A lot of people think the kingdom of heaven begins when we die and we get to experience heavenly reality. No, unless you become like a little child, unless you are born of water and the spirit, unless you are born again, you cannot access or you cannot enter or you cannot see the kingdom, the rule and reign of the lordship and dominion of heaven in your life. But every citizen of the kingdom of God, every son and daughter of God, every saved man, woman, boy, and girl has access to the kingdom of heaven that dwells inside of them. Citizenship in a country gives you access to privileges. Heavenists know it's an awesome thing when you land back in your own country, you just get free access right through customs. You don't have to, I've been all over the world and I've spent literally hours waiting in a customs line. Why? Because I'm not a citizen of that country. I don't have a passport in that country. But when I come home, it's just straight through for me and I put that thing in and we can go and, and, and have fun and do what we need to do. Why? because I have a passport. I'm a citizen of a nation that gives me certain rights and privileges. Philippians 3.20 says, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That gives you access, that gives you rights, that gives you privileges. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can cast your burden on the Lord for He cares for you. You can expect to pray for the sick and they shall be healed. You can expect when the dead comes your way, maybe you go their way, they will be raised up from the dead. You can expect signs and wonders Why? Because the covenant that we have as new creation citizens in the kingdom of God is a covenant that has supernatural heavenly realities attached to it. We have got to stop simply approaching earthly realities from earthly perspective. Take a breath. Colossians 3.1 says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. Do you realise you've been raised with Christ? You and I are seated in heavenly places. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And 
we see here through John's encounter, through my encounter, through your encounter with God, that heavenly realities are only accessible through a renewed mind. What did John say? He said, I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, when you get born again, your spirit is regenerated. The moment you're born again, you're in the spirit. But how many of us know our minds are still operating on old carnal software? Ever had a tech device or a blessed computer still operating on old software and the blessed company's designed it such that it messes your whole world up until you upgrade, update your device? Well, same thing in the dynamic of the spirit. You get saved, you're washed clean of your sin, you're born of the spirit, your spirit was dead in sin, now it's made alive, but your mind doesn't immediately get transformed or renewed. And so that's why you can even be saved, born again, new creation, but if your identity, your perception, your mind, your thinking is not renewed, you can default to old ways. And people are like, hang on a second, I, I got saved, I thought I was free of all that, but your mind needs to go through a transformation process. And that's why after you get saved, the biggest change and transformation that ha takes place is in your thinking. Right. I, I wish it would, was as easy as just turn up to church once a week and that would be enough to renew your mind. Have you discovered it's not? Because even that afternoon, you need a renewal of your thinking. And then Monday comes and Tuesday comes and you encounter something. I, I wish we could just grab our Bibles and just put it on our heads and just, you know, like, can it just sort of seep down into my skull? And as silly as this looks, this is what a lot of believers think. My notes have just gone. This is what a lot of believers think, is they, they just think that, you know, it's sort of like, it, it happens if I just get close to the pastor, it, it'll seep into me. People who have parents who are saved, they think, well, I can just live vicariously through my parents' faith. Well, parents who have kids that are saved, I can live vicariously through my kids' faith and revelation. No, you need to go and get your own. You need to posture your heart and posture yourself in a place where you are becoming aware of heavenly realities. The realm you are most conscious of is a reflection of the self that is still alive inside of you. So if you are more conscious of the earthly realm than you are of the heavenly realm when you confront earthly realities, knowing that God has given us a brain to use and that there are good, logical, practical, earthly solutions for a lot of problems in life. But how many of us have ever discovered that there are some things in life you encounter there's no earthly solution for? You actually need to tap into a heavenly reality and what many of us go to as a last resort, God wants to be your first response. Not the panic button, but a way of life where we constantly live aware of the realm of heavenly realities. What does Ephesians 3.22 say? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I really sense that God is calling us as a congregation to mature as spiritual people. To not simply approach church, life, family based upon 
earthly natural realities, but to actually grow in spiritual discernment and to become spiritual people that are not infants or immature when it comes to the things of the Spirit. Paul addresses this in the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I could not address you as spiritual people. He wanted to, but he couldn't. He said, I could only address you as people of the flesh. And then in Hebrews, the writer says in in chapter five, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Now the reason why some believers call bad good and good bad is because of their immaturity in spiritual things. And so where our powers of spiritual discernment have not been enlightened, illuminated, or trained to distinguish between good and evil, if you are immature spiritually, you have no choice but to conform to the spirit of the age. So when demonic deception and lies come through media and all manner of things, if we're not spiritual people and spiritually mature and our discernment is not trained to distinguish between good and evil, we can begin to conform and mold to the spirit of the age and accept that this is how it should be because this is the dominant message of society. You and I are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be of a different spirit. But unless we mature and grow in spiritual things, then even in an atmosphere and environment like this, we will approach in an earthly way. We'll approach with a religious mindset where we're ticking the box and going through the motion. Rather than seeing this as a spiritual expression of an already overflowing heavenly reality in our everyday life. What did Romans 12, 2 says? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that by testing, you may be able to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You say, well, what is God's will? It doesn't get any better than this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no better will, there is no better definition of God's will than if it's in the heavenly reality, it should be in the earthly realm. And often we elevate, or actually, could I say, we diminish the fullness of God's will to where should I live? What job should I do? Who should I marry? They're important things. And are really important. They're important things. But, but that's still earthly stuff. It's almost like we're using God's will to simply solve practical things, issues. No, no. God's will is that you and I live in heavenly realities. Don't, do you not know you're seated in heavenly places? You have access to things as citizens, as sons and daughters of God, which means that you approach, yes, There are practical things, but even Jesus just solved it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness. Don't worry about all those other things. They'll take care of themselves. So if you get focused on God's cosmic will of what it is that He is wanting to do, bring heaven to earth, a lot of the practical expressions of the will of God take care of themselves. And what happens is when you bump into heaven's reality, our lack of holiness gets exposed. And we realise that in John's encounter where the four living creatures are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What are they saying? Set apart, set apart, set apart is the Lord God Almighty. Otherworldly, otherworldly, otherworldly is the Lord God Almighty. Consecrated, consecrated, consecrated. In other words, God's nature is so distinct from earthly realities. And it's not until you bump into and encounter heavenly realities that you realise actually, woe is me, I'm a man, Isaiah said, of unclean lips. I need you to cleanse my heart. I need you to wash me clean. You know, Paul's journey in sanctification was really interesting. In one chapter, he writes, I'm the least of the apostles. And then a few chapters later, he writes, I'm the least of the saints. And then in his final days before he dies, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. What's happening? The closer he gets to the holiness of God and the closer he gets to the flame, the more aware he is of his sinfulness, of his lack of holiness, not to condemn him, but to actually help him to come more into alignment with the holiness of who God is. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin in your life or attitudes in your life, it's not to inconvenience your lifestyle. It's to help conform you to the image of His Son. So rather than resisting that and fighting that, we actually come into a place where we say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I need you and I want you to come and actually wash me clean and to align me to the the holy otherness of who God is than anything else in my natural reality. And then you realise that to sustain living in heavenly realities requires a lifestyle of brokenness and humility before the Lord. This is why the elders take their symbol of authority, their crown, and as they look into the throne of heaven and see the glory of who Jesus is, they throw their authority, they throw their symbol of everything that they hold dear and significant down to the ground because in light of who He is, all of my efforts, everything that I point to as being my significance, pales pitifully compared to the glory of heavenly realities. As I sat there last Sunday night watching this beautiful, breathtaking image unfold before me, I realised everything I put pride in, everything we as humans put pride in is pitiful before the throne of heaven. It's like all of us should just sit down and take notes and just look at His glory and His majesty, it'll keep you humble to live in heavenly realities because you'll realise every effort and all the things that humanity puts their sense of worth and value in means nothing before the glory of heaven, before the reality of King Jesus. But that's good for us. We need that. 
And so the only reasonable, rational, intelligent response to an awesome, almighty God is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. I think this is what Paul was actually speaking to when he said in Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. In the Greek, literally means dung. How many times there's a few other words for that? He's saying literally all the things, my education, my esteem, my heritage, my inheritance, everything that I can point to and say, in our context, it could be your education, it could be your bank account, it could be your status in your company, it could be your network of relationships, your social media following, whatever you esteem as bringing significance to you, all pales in comparison. It's all dung and rubbish compared to living in heavenly realities. And my concern is that not only people who don't know the Lord, but people who do know the Lord are gonna stand before Jesus one day and realise, gee, life was short and eternity is a long time. And, And for believers to spend all of their time and all of their energy in just investing into this realm for a fleeting moment totally misunderstands what we are called to as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, ambassadors of reconciliation and as sons and daughters of the most high God. You and I are called to live our lives until we stand before Jesus face to face. We're called to live our lives as aliens and strangers on this planet as citizens and sons and daughters of another kingdom. And we're to thank God for our families and our lives and the jobs we have and all that. But all of that, we are stewards. And we are stewards of the mysteries and realities of the kingdom of heaven. And when you begin to think like this and when you begin to live like this, every day, every moment has significance and meaning. Because you realise heaven doesn't begin when I die. Heaven's begun the moment I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and to come and live in my heart. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.